Hello, and welcome to Lines from Loganberry, the official Loganberry Books podcast series. We are a local indie bookshop located in the historic Larchmere neighborhood of Cleveland, Ohio. With this podcast, we hope to stay connected to you as we weather the coronavirus storm together. Every week, we will help you discover new books, rave about our latest favorite reads, reveal niche stories about Loganberry, link you to local authors, ask some interesting questions about the literary world, and check in with our friendly bookstar cat, Otis. Go to our website, loganberrybooks.com, and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts, all at loganberrybooks, to stay up to date and to find out how to best support us during these ever-shifting times. Thank you for listening, and enjoy. In today's Local Voices episode of Lines from Loganberry, Local Voices manager Maisha Hedden interviews three authors about their books, all featuring the beauty and strength of horses, and also about their creative processes and the unique bond between man and horse. This episode originally aired as a Facebook Live event on May 2nd. All of the participants' books are on sale at store.loganberrybooks.com with links in the description of this episode. Hello, everybody, um, and welcome to Books, Big Hats, and Bourbon, um, a celebration of horses um, with, uh, with Loganberry Books. Thank you so much for showing up. Thank you so much for coming. So again, this is, um, a, you know, this is a webinar with our three authors um, put on by Loganberry Books. My name is Maisha Hedden and I am the local voices manager for Loganberry Books, um, which means that I scour our great state of Ohio looking for wonderful authors um, to represent and to bring into our store and to promote their books and to just be um, a great booster for the amazing literary arts that are produced in the state of Ohio. Um, if you've got a book and you're interested in having it at Loganberry, please reach out to me. My Loganberry email address is Maisha, M-I-E-S-H-A, at Logan.com. Again, if you're a local author, please reach out to me, and um, I'm excited to meet all of you and to promote your books. Um, so I also want to remind you that um, with COVID-19 and everything like that, um, to support your local bookstores. So I'm going to introduce these three authors, but remember that you can purchase these books at Loganberry. If you go to our website, and I'll have the, um, I'll post the web address soon, you can purchase them in store from us, and we will mail them to you. Okay, great. So then I will introduce our three authors that we have right now. Uh, first, we have Betty Weibel, um, who wrote Little Victories, which is a, um, a nonfiction story. And we have Dave Dalazé, who is an illustrator who wrote an amazing uh, children's picture book called Zippy Chippy. And we also have ja Janet Wolin Alexander, who wrote her book At Home on a Horse in the Wood. All right. So for everybody who's not familiar with your work, let's just start with a simple question, which is, can you tell us a little bit about your book? Betty, would you like to start? Of course, thank you so much. Um, my book is the true story of a young woman who was living her childhood dream of working in the horse industry when 
literally the roof caved in on her one heavy winter day, a ride collapsed on her during a riding lesson. And uh, the book tells the story of her rescue, her recovery, her rehab, uh, and learning to live as a paraplegic um, and going on and continuing her dream of getting back into the world of horses, teaching at a local therapeutic riding center. And she developed with that center a program uh, for uh, therapeutic carriage driving, which today is still in use. She's been teaching, Debbie Gaddis has been teaching from her wheelchair uh, for more than 20 years, 25, we won't date it, um, and helping a lot of people, including veterans, who are not able to necessarily ride, but the carriage driving program is helpful. So the book uh, traces her journey through this, uh, and hence the name Little Victories, a true story of the healing power of horses. And uh, it's from the headlines in Northeast Ohio originally. That is an amazing story of overcoming. And I'm so glad that you, I'm so glad that you wrote it. And we'll, well, actually a little bit later in the program, we'll get a chance to ask you about your writing process. Like how do you, how did you gather facts and, um, and really kind of tap into her truth and try to tell her story. So thank you so much, Betty. Okay, David, we're going to move on to you. Now, um, David, before you get started, I want everybody to know that David is an illustrator. So um, Zippy Chippy, he didn't write the book, but he was responsible for presenting the images that the children were seeing. So thank you, David. Sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, the true story of Zippy Chippy, the little horse that couldn't, is a picture book biography written by Artie Bennett. And Artie is an executive copy editor at Random House uh, Children's Books in New York. And he lives in Brooklyn. And he picked up an article um, in one of the New York papers about this true life story of a, a supposedly champion horse. Um, he was born to these great uh, triple crown winners and all this, um, you know, pedigree horse racing heroes. And uh, Zippy ended up kind of becoming a, a folk hero in the horse racing world because he was known as the horse who lost 100 races and never won one race. So kind of a lovable loser story. And, and Artie fell in love with it. And it's really, um, it's his first book that was written in prose. He has five books that are written in poem or verse that are humorous. And this is his first book that was written in prose. So um, it's become very popular so far. That's, um, that's amazing. I uh, actually, I love the premise of that book, The Horse That Couldn't. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Okay, and Janet, um, Janet Wollen, please tell us about your um, memoir, your biography, At Home on a Horse. Well, it tells the story of a little girl being born in the big city, Cleveland, um, with the dream of having a horse of her own but not exactly knowing how to make that come true. Um, so she pursues it off and on throughout her life um, with various results um, until she gets very frustrated. Um, a horse is offered to her um, when she's in middle age and she can't accept it um, because she can't do the, she can't, uh, she's, it's not a time in her life to take on that responsibility. And she gets really mad at God for being such a big tease and um, dangling, you know, these horse experiences out for her, which they don't 
last. And so she's just about to give up when a minister says something so profound that just blows her mind. And um, when she recovers, uh, her mindset has changed and horses come into her life very quickly in a way, a way she had never imagined. And they're still in her life uh, these 20 years later. So um, it's a story to inspire other people who have big dreams to take them very seriously um, because um, that's who they're meant to be. And Jana, just to be clear, um, we're talking about you, right? Right. <laughs> right. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay, so our next question is, like, what is the inspiration for your book? So, Janet, you kind of started on um, talking about how, um, you know, you had a, um, it was kind of a spiritual journey with you. Exactly, it was. Um, with the horses. And horses are often known as a spirit animal. So do you want to talk about like a, a little bit more about your sort of internal inspiration and motivation for, um, for writing your memoir? Well, apparently, before you write a book, you're supposed to have your audience identified and have your chapters all lined up and, yes, and so forth. And that is not the way it happened for me. My, my journey was very mysterious. I was just called to write certain horse-related experiences up throughout my life. It's just, I just knew I had to do it, and I, I couldn't say no. And I enjoyed doing it and uh, collected these over my life. Um, I became a teacher and I'd run them by other, you know, teachers um, and, you know, rewrite them afterwards. And then after I retired, I joined a writing club and that was wonderful. And I, I learned a lot there. And then I was, you know, by that time I had a pile of papers and I thought, well, they look like I could bind them in a book. And two gals in my writing club had their own publishing business and they accepted them and they, you know, they published the book. And um, it, it just you know, kind of happened. But, but then I realized that I had to um, market the book. And that was where I got really stuck. And um, I did eventually find another, a larger um, publisher that gave assistance in that area, which, and that's where I'm at right now, trying to, to learn that. Um, but, you, you know, they required that you really think about like who is your audience and what is your purpose and who what is your message and why should people read your book and things that I hadn't considered and I really had to do a, a, some struggle to answer that and it's like playing God what do I know what this higher power wanted of me you know so I just kind of the best I could figure it out is that um, I'm supposed to to tell other people if they have a dream to take it really seriously and pursue it. And when you get overwhelmed or you get stuck or you get ready to give up like I did, uh, read my book and see if you can um, get some inspiration out of it and save many, many years of struggle. <laughs> Thank you so much, Janet. That was actually really super wonderful. And I totally wanna circle back to you a little bit later because there's, there's so much to pick out of that. But um, let's switch gears and go over to Dave Salze, who is an illustrator. Um, so why don't you talk to us about illustration? Because even within the context of illustration, you still have to find inspiration. 
like inspiration for what are my images going to look like? How am I going to bring somebody else's vision to um, out to small children who can be very critical, actually? <laughs> True. And it's, and it's a particular audience. And you think about children's books and the audience is broader than the children because the parents have to buy into it. They're going to be reading it. Um, librarians and teachers are a big part of our audience too. So the stories, a, a good picture book will speak to all ages. And, and you know, so that's, that's kind of important to keep in mind. Um, with this particular book, because it was based on a real living being, the horror, Zippy, um, I wanted to be as accurate as possible. And the style, um, the style is based on, I have a portfolio and the people who hire me specifically in the in the book industry somebody there who's an art buyer and ed, a copy editor will work with the writer and then an art director will work with the illustrator and help them um, select somebody it's a matchmaking kind of game and so they found pieces in my portfolio that they felt would be similar to what they envisioned the story to look like in style so with that in mind the next step is to reach out and ask the illustrator if they're interested. And um, they usually send me a couple samples of what they saw in my portfolio that they want this book to look like. It might be another animal, it might be deer, or it could be humans, but they, they have a certain look that they want. So this book, they wanted it to have a humorous look um, because the horse has a very um, funny kind of personality. And the inspiration for me was a combination of reading how Artie was portraying the horse's personality with um, actual photos of Zippy Chippy. So he is a, a bay horse, has, so he has reddish brown um, coat with black points, and that was important. And he has a little white spot above his eyes on his forehead. So I wanna capture those real life elements. And then the other, the hard part was to find a way to make a horse have human expressions because we're trying to animate this horse and make him um you know have be able to express his happiness or sadness and uh, that's a challenge to make an animal do that um, we call that in the art world anthropomorphizing it's a long word it takes a long time to practice to be able to say that in front of my students but that is giving human characteristics to an animal. So um, when you see an animal that's dressed in clothing or talks, that's taking it further. I was kind of meeting it halfway. Zippy didn't necessarily speak it like Mr. Ed to humans, but um, he, he definitely has this rambunctious personality and we want to show that in his facial expressions. And if, if you look at the cover, you'll see that. They worked with me very closely to make sure that we captured that spirit in the on the cover. That is absolutely wonderful. That's actually a really, really cool story. Um, I was, and by the way, it's just like, what is Zippy, um, I assume that Zippy is probably no longer alive? He is, and he just, wow. turned, yeah, he um, had a birthday in April, and uh, he's 28 or 29. Oh, wow, that's kind of cool. I think he was born in 91, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good. Now, we can't forget that today is the day that um, would have been the, I believe, 146th running of um, the Kentucky Derby, hence the hat that you see right there. I've got on my Derby hat. Um, 
And so then I wanted to, um, to ask you all, do you have any, um, do you have any like special, like especially you, Betty and Janet, do you have any special horse memories that you might want to share with us? I had one, um, the first horse that came into my life after the minister um, educated me um, was a white horse. And um, he was a retired endurance champion that I got to exercise in later life. And one day we were um, cantering up a hill. It was the autumn and the sun, huge sun was setting on the top of the hill. And it, it just blinded me. Um, it, everything around me was white. He was white. I looked down, it was white. And I felt like I was on Pegasus riding for the sun. It was a very spiritual experience. It was cool. I'll um, never forget that, that. That's kind of amazing. That's an incredible story. I'm, um, yeah, yeah, I've had certain, not on a horse, but I've had certain moments like that where it's just like, you know, it's the light and it's the light metaphorically and it's kind of amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and then Betty, um, please share with us one of your favorite horse memories, but also can you tell us what's in your barn? <laughs> I'm lucky. I'm making memories every day, I think. I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I go out to the barn in the morning at five or six to feed three horses that are out there. I have my retired show hunter, Luminaire, who's, a, they're all senior citizens and have a great life. He's 21 and still fun to get on and ride. And then I have, he's perspective, he's 1,300 pounds. Then I have a retired therapy pony named Snickers, who's 600 pounds and uh, 34 years old. And then I have a mini horse named Moose, who's 250 pounds. So I have these three seniors that I'm taking care of every day. And like Janet said, there's something about horses that, you know, whether you're watching them on TV and rooting for your favorite in the Kentucky Derby or fortunate enough to see them every day, they do bring out something in all of us that uh, is kind of uh, a peaceful, uh, quiet thing. And that's why I think children love horses at such an early age and, and keep them, you know, with them for their whole lives. So. so, but Betty, I have to ask you, so you have this one giant. Yeah. And these two smaller ones, so like, do they all get along? Is there any like beef with the giant in the barn or does, is everybody happy? You know, it's one happy family. Um, my neighbors hear me yelling at them sometimes when I have to catch them and make them come in off the grass because you can't let them eat all that they want at this time of year. The sugar content's high. But um, they get along well. They'll run and torture me and not let me catch them. And uh, it's not fun. They'll spray mud on me and run by me. <laughs> the big one occasionally chases the little ones for fun, but he's very gentle. And the little ones uh, get into incredible trouble. So it, definitely when you're having a busy day at work, you go out there and it's like being in another world. with mm -hmm. little, little That is amazing. That's wonderful. All right, let me check my clock. Oh, it is 1120. So I'm going to ask our participants, if anyone is interested, please go to chat and... Um, you may ask your own questions. So if anybody has any questions, go ahead and post them in chat and I'll be looking down over there. 
Um, and you can ask questions about anything. You can ask questions about Dave and the whole process of um, illustrating, which could be an entire program unto itself. You can ask Betty um, and Janet about horses. You can ask them about the process of writing. So if you have any questions at all, just go ahead and throw them in the chat box and I will be watching. I also want to remind you that I posted a poll. So if you look down at the bottom, there's a poll and you can answer our really fun questions. So we've got questions like, do you own a horse? And what is your favorite horse movie? And also, um, what horse parks have you visited in person of the three that constitute the Cripple, Triple Crown? Like, have you ever been to Churchill Downs? Um, oh, um, Betty and Janet, you're gonna have to help me. How do you say it? Pim, Ick? Pimlico Park. Pimlico Park. And then Belmont Park. So if you've ever been, please vote and let us know. Thank you. All right, so let's talk a little bit Oh, we've got a really nice question from, um, from Renee. And she wants to know, oh, this is, this is so nice. Um, I think this is for all of you, even though obviously, Dave, you'll have to, um, well, actually, um, I'm stealing Dave's thunder. He's an illustrator and he's also a writer. He does both. Okay. Um, so Renee wants to know, um, did you always want to be a writer, even when you were young? So um, actually, uh, Dave, do you want to take the first stab at that? Sure. Um, okay. Absolutely. Was it, it was the farthest thing. Where I am today in my career, I'm a college professor. Um, it'll be 16 years uh, this fall, if we go back, or however we go back. Um, I never planned on teaching. Uh, I, I was very artistic as a child. And I actually struggled to read. I was a, I was a um, challenged reader and picture books spoke to me and helped me. They always say that when, when a child is struggling to read, the pictures are sort of like lily pads to jump to and they kind of encourage you to work your way through the story. So I had trouble reading and it wasn't really identified by the teachers. I kind of kept it to myself because I was actually ashamed of it. But the early reader picture books helped me a lot. So I had this early uh, experience that I think planted the seeds. Later on, when as an adult, I studied graphic design in college and I worked in the advertising field for about 25 to almost 30 years before I took on the profession of going into illustrating. Um, and at first I thought that was gonna be in advertising and marketing, but I started leaning towards this picture book thing. I circled back around and found that that really spoke to me and that was a passion. And the writing just made sense. I've done lots of writing for advertising and in a sort of a, a business sense, but not for children. So this is something that I'm uh, working with right now. I have about four manuscripts that are in the works. And now that I've got the door open in the publishing world, um, the people who work with me on the illustration side are encouraging me and helping me out with the writing. So um, that's kind of the next phase of my career, but none of this was planned at all. It was, I'm just kind of following the, you know, where the wind takes me and it seems to be the best fit for me right now, for sure. I think this is like really amazing. This, there's wow. such, um, such a symbiotic thing going on right here because with Dave, what you're talking about, like, you know, how when you're a kid, and you really basically read in images 
and like the words were a little bit slow to you. And then Betty, your book about a woman who loved horses and figured out that she could still train and still teach even as a quadriplegic. I think it just, um, it's just a wonderful example of how we have to love and see the value in people who are differently abled and how differently abled people just bring um, so much value into our human experience, you know, that like, like we touch each other's souls and it's just, it's incredibly wonderful. Um, so Betty, I'm the same question, Janet's question. I'm going to move on to you because I know that you kind of do a dual career thing too, um, that you have a very successful, I might add, career in, um, in public relations, but you're also um, a writer. So have you wanted to be a writer since you were um, a young person? So I love this question. I was that child who had two things in life that I loved, writing and riding. And I grew up, the one who did, you know, as a little kid, the family newsletter and drawing horse pictures and saving every penny to take a riding lesson. And I didn't own horses as a little kid, but later in life I did 4-H and everything. But writing was something, when I went to college, um, I actually went to a, a college I had an equestrian program, so I doubled in communications and equestrian. So it's been with me, unlike you, Dave, it's <laughs> always been a part of me. And I've, as a newspaper reporter, I wrote about every topic you could imagine, every tragedy, everything that there was. And I wrote for magazines and um, a little bit of TV and video work. So I've done, um, and, and our, Dave and my paths crossed at one point at an ad agency we both worked at, I think, at the, or crossed over. But right. um, so I've always had the writing and the horses. So when I decided, I, I wrote magazines and I wrote four horse magazines. When I decided that I wanted to try a book, because I'd never done that. Um, I ghostwritten books for other people. Um, I decided you write about what you know and what you love. So it was very easy. My first book was on the Cleveland Grand Prix. Oh, I'd wow. written in short form as magazines uh, before I became a book. And the same thing with this one. I'd written about therapeutic writing, but never a long form on this. So as a professional, and as you said, I'm, my profession is public relations and writing um, publicity for companies and individuals. And I've even had authors I've publicized. So it's a wonderful thing to when you, um, your free time for me is writing. I'm still doing it even when I'm not doing it at work. I'm writing for pleasure. And that's what the books are for me. It's writing about something I love for pleasure. That is wonderful. Thank you. Um, I think it's a good segue to, um, for a question that came up that's directed at you, Janet. Um, because as we know, like um, Betty has her um, background in public relations. So the question to you is, in addition to target audience and marketing plans, did your publisher ask you a lot about platform? For example, why were you the best person to write this book? And if so, how did you answer? And that's from Sarah. So do you have, um, um, and you know what, while you're there, cause it's another question I was going to ask you, you can talk about your, um, your, um, your writing group. Cause a lot of, a lot of writers write in writing groups because you said one of them published your book, right. Or helped you to get it. My out. first book. Yes. Yeah. And then, um, 
<clears throat> I got it reprinted um, uh, later um, because I needed to learn more about I thought when you got done with your book, you just sat home and collected the money. That is not <laughs> the case. You have to work just as hard to market your book. Um, so I, I went to, um, I got it reprinted with a different um, author to help me, a publishing company to help me with that. And actually, he's a retired minister from Columbus. His name is Kerry Oberbrunner. And he, his mission um, is to ignite souls. And he basically believes, he, his ministry, I guess you would say now, and his job is to um, help people um, learn what he learned the hard way about publishing. And he has his own kind of uh, program after teaching it. And uh, his uh, platform, or his passion, is that everybody in the world, every human being has something to offer, a story to tell. And 80% of the people really want to write the book, but they, they all don't. And he, he's here to like assist you in the process. And he really loves extracting this, you know, everybody's story from them and sharing it with the world to make the world a better place, a place full of um, dreams and that inspiration and that type of thing. So. That's how I'd answer it. That is wonderful. Thank you. Um, we have um, a delightful question um, up in the chat from um, a grandmother. Her question is, does anybody have a book that they would recommend um, about horses or that has a significant horse in the plot directed towards tweens? So, um, a, a tween is a, I, I think that that's going to be that middle school age. So something like maybe not quite as sophisticated as like a YA novel, but like more than a picture book. Does anybody have anything in mind? Sure. Go ahead, Patty. So, well, I will of course say that I wrote little victories for that middle grade on up age because I wanted to write at a level for people who didn't know horses or wanted to get behind the scenes. So I will mention that I did gear to that audience and hope as all of us love young adult books or tween books that it will bring everyone else in. But there are so many good books out there in series and things. Um, Black Beauty is a great classic. classic. It's written on many levels, but when you have the empathy and reading it from the horse's perspective, it's just one of those classics that, you know, I recommend for all ages. Um, there's another wonderful book that uh, um, a lady, Elizabeth Letts, wrote not long ago, um, a retold the story of Snowman and Harry DeLayer, who he found a horse um, actually at going to auction um, at the end of his road, uh, auction for the killer, I hate to say it, but Harry saw him and rescued him for $80 and he went on to become a champion. So it's another one of those timeless stories as so many of them are. So I'll throw those two out. There's just so many good books out there, but um, those three, I should say. Uh, and of course, uh, my uh, panelists, co-panelists. That, that book about the, um, the guy getting a horse for $80 that was going to auction, like, if you have a second, why don't you throw that inside of the chat? Because that sounds, that sounds sure. really, I, that sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth Letts is the author, and there's a couple different versions that have been written. I remember reading it when I was the tween age, and I 
bred them all too. But um, the horse Snowman uh, went on to become a national champion in the show jumping world, um, which uh, is is fascinating and it tells his true story. So, but I will add that to it. Okay. Um, and then um, Dave, we've got a question coming to you. So um, the question is, how long does your I'm going to take it to the illustrating process take, um, especially for such different kinds of books. So, um, yeah, do you want to uh, take a swing at that? Sure. You might even want to tell everyone about the stuff that you've been talking to us about. Yeah. About, like, um, you know, essentially you're commissioned. Yeah. You're commissioned to the book. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so yeah, the way that this works for picture books anyway, um, if I wrote my own book, I would, I would submit that to a publisher or publishers through my agent, and they would get that in front of the people that we feel would be a good fit, you know, the different publishers who fit that genre, um, if I wrote the book and illustrated it. When I'm only hired as the illustrator, it typically comes through an email, either from my agent or from the um, art director who's interested in working with me. And it's just a query. They, they say, hey, would you mind looking at this manuscript and seeing if it's a good fit? Which is nice because you have the right of refusal. If you feel like it doesn't resonate with you, then you don't have to take the assignment. Um, and I would never take on a picture book that I felt didn't speak to me. Uh, Zippy spoke to me because the, I just loved the story. It just clicked. I read it. I smiled when I was reading it. And I could envision what the pictures would look like already in, in first reading, which I think is really crucial for me. Um, so that's the first step, that email, and I'll read it and I get back to them. If I, if I agree to it, then I sign on and we get a contract going. And the art director typically gives me a, a window of time to submit sketches. And I have some sketches from Zippy here. I think they'll show up if I put them up to the camera. Um, but imagine taking a 32-page picture book, that's the typical size of a picture book, 16 spreads, and um, I, would, I would lay this out almost like a little comic book, like the comics that you'd see. Um, so let me show you this. These are the little thumbnail sketches of the picture book. And I'll go through the whole book like this in, in miniature, and I essentially send them a black and white layout of how I see the whole book. And it's um, in an email. And they'll get back to me and say, we like it, we don't like it. Um, let's make some tweaks or changes. But typically, if I'm really careful and the story hits me at the right spot, I, I pretty much nail it. And um, the one thing that's interesting, too, that I had no idea, I work really fast and I think it's because of the urgency of working in the advertising world for so many years and having to balance a full-time teaching schedule at a university. I'm doing this essentially in my spare time and so I work really quickly. So laying out that whole book in the first draft would take about three to five days um, on average. If those are approved and they say, okay, move to color, then I start working in full size and I can do on average one to two illustrations a day. So one to two pages a day, um, barring there aren't any major changes. With Zippy, I, I'd say from beginning to end, I illustrated the whole book in about three months, wow. on and off, working about two or three days a week on it. 
That was, um, that's really fast. Like that's mind blowing. <laughs> it might, it's mind blowing to me too. Cause again, I'm kind of new to this field. Zippy's one of the first two books that I've ever illustrated. And I got lucky. I got two book deals within a couple months of each other when I just started out of the, you know, out of the gate. So, um, <laughs> I'm still kind of reeling from it. It's only been about a year since I've been doing this. That is incredible. Um, actually, there's, there's a, another question, Dave. I'm going to throw it to you. Um, and um, Betty and Janet, if you think you have an answer, throw one in two. Somebody wants to, else wants to know, like, what uh, a, a good children's picture book. Like, I, I, it probably doesn't even have to be necessarily related to horses, but one where you just kind of, it's just, it really grabbed you. I, I have three. You have three? Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, I, I, I just am in love with children's books. I, I just think the clarity and the succinct amount of words and the, the pictures, how they convey an idea so simply and profoundly just fascinates me. And I don't have that in my head. And I so admire people like Dave who, who can do that. So um, I am totally in love with this book. It's called If I Had a Horse. Oh! And it's by Gianna Marino, and it is exquisite. And it's, it's all watercolor. Um, it's darling. And then um, I like Moon Horse, and I like Snow Riders. <laughs> And um, I like anything by Jean Abernathy, but her latest one is Fergus, A Horse to be Reckoned With. It's really cute. Wow, Janet, you came prepared. That was amazing. Thank you for those books. It's I'm a bookaholic. You should see my library. <laughs> <laughs> we like that at Loganberry. Continue to buy. Um, and then, Betty, do you have any? You know, um, this the... Uh, the early ones I recall, like I said, some of the Black Beauty versions were done for children's and then they were, you know, they were edited down. So that would be a good one. Um, I, I have to admit, my favorite one is a child, I can't remember the author, was called Little Black A Pony. And it was a book that when my parents had a garage sale and gave it away and sold it, I tracked it down and got it back because I didn't realize it was in the to go. Oh. <laughs> um, there's certain books that stay with you as a child. And um, that snowman book I mentioned earlier had an original author. Um, and I found it on my shelf, Brotherford Montgomery. Oh. That was meant for a younger audience. And then Elizabeth Letts just recently rewrote it. So I'll throw that one out. But um, back on the tweens, National Velvet's one more I'll throw in there. National Velvet. The old Elizabeth Taylor uh, Mickey Rooney movie as a book was wonderful too. Thank you. All right, we have one more question. I think I will make that the, um, the final question that I'm gonna throw out to you guys um, because it's actually a very fitting final question. So Betty, Dave, and Janet, what do you think it is with human beings and horses. Like why has there always been um, such a bond between man and horse? And you don't have to be scientific, it could just be your opinion. What do you think? Um, who wants to go first? Janet, you're, 
I see yeah. you, buddy, yeah. at the bit. You want yeah, to go. Quest, go that ahead, question Dan. is from my longest friend from fourth grade. We went to uh, grade school and high school together. Hi, Karen. <laughs> uh, and it's unplanned. I didn't know she was doing this. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just think it's, to me, a fascination between their size. They're such a big, powerful animal, and they could kill us with one swat. Yet they choose to um, engage with us, and you can build an incredible relationship with a horse. And they're beautiful, and I'm in love with their spirit, their, their warmth and their softness, their breath on your, your bare skin. They're very intuitive. They can read us better than we can read them and better than we can read ourselves. Um, they live in, they're, they're gurus. They live in the present and not in the future and not in the past. And that's like what we spiritually try so hard to do. And their capacity to heal us, which I can't wait to hear more about from Betty. Yeah. But they're very powerful healers. They're fascinating. They're many faceted and just fascinating. Wonderful. And uh, Betty, with that, let's go to you. I mean, you know. You know, Janet said it so well, but, but there is a reason that horses have made such an amazing contribution to society as therapy animals. And there's scientific uh, research on that from Horses and Humans Organization about the value of that. Physically, their motion, um, you know, mirrors the human body. So a paraplegic can get the feel of walking. So hence the, the and I'm saying it in a very short way, there's so much more to it than that. But the physical motion adds value. The um, mental stimulation of the horse, they mirror our emotions and they feed off us. So you can look deep into those beautiful eyes of a horse mm. and whether you even never sit on their back and you just admire them, they're tuned into our emotions. They're really like dogs in a way where they pick up on your emotions. So there is a definite mental and emotional connection with horses as well. And someone had asked about school visits. I have you know, always wanted to give back to children from the earliest age because that's when I fell in love. And I think kids, whether it stays with you through life or it's just something in passing, there's something to be learned from um, understanding those animals and their contribution to our world through history. Um, as Janet said, so it's it's just an incredible emotional connection for people um, that they're very sensitive animals. Um, and uh, with that, Betty, do you want to uh, maybe throw out an email address where people can reach you if they'd like you for a school visit? Oh, sure. Um, my website is Betty Weibel, B-E-T-T-Y-W-E-I-B-E-L at um, dot com. And on there, you'll find a, an address and upcoming events and things like that. And um, so I, it's easy. Just reach out to me and send me an email on that. I'll keep it simple and uh, uh, or Betty Weibel at Gmail. And I'll be happy to follow up on that. Wonderful. Thank you. Oh, and I forgot, Janet makes horse jewelry. And um, Janet, do you have a website for your horse jewelry? Yes, it's called Swish Tails. There's three S's in it, S-W-I-S-H-T-A-I-L-S dot com. It needs a lot of work, but it's there. <laughs> and David, um, uh, Dave, do you want to close us out? Like, what, what do you think the magic is between humans and horses? 
Oh, well, I, I have a particular, I think a lot of my artwork is inspired by my love of animals, nature, all that stuff. So, um, you know, horses are um, a domestic, to me, they're kind of like a domestic deer or a moose or one of these big powerful animals that you see, you can see the athleticism in their anatomy. And I, I agree uh, with the power is really mysterious of horses. They just look so impressive um, in person. They're so big. And I think that there's, I've always been fascinated in seeing horses in movies as characters and in other stories. There's, there was a, several uh, storybooks that I liked as a kid that had um, horses featured in them. And um, they're, they're actually very, very challenging to draw. Um, anatomically, getting those legs right, they're very dynamic and complicated and getting the legs right to be believable that they're either running or they're jumping. Um, they, they change their uh, posture when they're, when they're prancing or they're trotting. So it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge to portray horses in pictures. Um, so as an artist, they're fascinating. Thank you, David. Um, this was absolutely wonderful. So I'm gonna go through our authors one more time. We've got Betty Weibel, who wrote um, Little Victories, and you can buy it at Loganberry Books. Dave Salazé, who wrote Zippy Chippy. Yep. <laughs> my website is my, my name, davezelay.com. Delay, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> and also Janet Wollen-Alexander. Wollen-Alexander. Yeah. Whoa, like a horse. Whoa. <laughs> Available at Loganberry. And with that, I go ahead, Betty. You were gonna say something? I just want to say that Loganberry is an amazing independent bookstore, and this is a great time to show our support for all that you do for the community. And Loganberry is amazing, and this is your first online book event. You did an amazing job. So if anybody buys, I know Dave and I are going to be at the Ohio Anna Book Festival at the end of August. So if you buy from Loganberry and bring it, we'll be happy to sign for you there. So sure. sorry, we couldn't meet you in person. <laughs> Another time, I'm sure. Um, everybody, thank you so much. This went very well, very well. Thanks a lot. And I'm closing out. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Loganberry Books is open to the public Tuesday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. You can order books from us at store.loganberrybooks.com with specific links to the books discussed in this episode in the description. You can also order from us by calling the store directly at 216-795-9800 or emailing books at logan.com with your specific requests. You can support us by purchasing through our affiliate pages on bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash Loganberry Books, loganberry.papertrail.com for digital ebooks, or on libro.fm for all your audiobook needs. Again, all of these options will be linked in the description below. This episode of Lines from Loganberry was produced and edited by Margie Adams. Be sure to tune in next week for more bookish content, and thanks for listening.